Does God only bless the good and hates the evil? Our discussion today will answer this question and more. I encourage you to open your heart and mind as you listen to this broadcast. The title of our topic for today is God bless the good and the evil. How providential to know that indeed God is good and blesses both the good and the, and the bad. No wonder almost all praise and give thanks to God for His loving kindness. We read this in the Holy Bible believed to be God's letter to mankind. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and send the train on the just and on the unjust. Question. Since we consider the Holy Bible is the love letter of God to us, who is this one true God? In the Holy Bible, God introduces Himself in the first of the Ten Commandments, like in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. I quote, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. To show how important the Ten Commandments are, God wrote them with His finger in Exodus 31, verse 18. And I quote, He gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai to tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. How did God emphasize the need to identify before loving him? We read this in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, and I quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then in verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. I have overlooked this when I used to be a preacher of a certain sect. Is the need to identify God before loving Him established or confirmed in the Scriptures? Good. You ask this very important point that perhaps many people like you we're not aware of it. Jesus Christ revealed this to a humble scribe who realized this unnoticeable message of great importance to everybody. How did our Lord express it to everybody in order to benefit from it? Mark wrote it in Mark chapter 12 verse 29. And I quote, And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then in verse 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. I hope many people realize this. First of all the commandments. And so I have to repeat Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Question. Then, who is God of the Holy Bible? My friend, I hope you have not forgotten that we discussed this in another article here in YouTube. Who is the God of the Holy Bible? 
I advise our viewers to listen to our discussion in that article. Then, let us proceed discussing the goodness and blessing of God to all people. Who would not have benefited reading the Holy Bible from this book is the bestseller of all time and never in a moment lost its attraction to the people. How do all people receive the blessing of our Lord? This was literally demonstrated when Jesus Christ fed the great multitudes that followed him. In one occasion we read in Matthew chapter 15 beginning in verse 36, Jesus fed 4,000 men excluding women and children with seven bread and fishes. Afterward, they took up the broken meat and was left seven baskets full. In another occasion, we read in John chapter 6 beginning in verse 9, Jesus fed 5,000 men excluding women and children with five burly loaves and two small fishes. Thereafter, they gathered the fragments and filled 12 baskets. With the foregoing illustration, it is quite clear the multitudes were literally, physically benefited, having been satisfied from their hunger. Yes, this is the general notion of many people receiving blessings from God. And this might well expound the meaning of in Matthew chapter 5, 45. And I quote that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Does it mean that God no longer distinguishes the good from the evil, or the just from the unjust? This is a very good question, my friend. In our discussion, we will see how God very clearly reveals the answer to your question that everybody will be able to grasp his intended message to Matthew chapter 5 verse 45. How does God do this living no doubt to the veracity and authenticity of his word? My friend, have you forgotten that God speaks in parables or is speaking in tongues? Have we not heard people saying the Bible is full of contradictions that to be serious and dig deeper into it, you would go crazy. What is the purpose of God in making His words too difficult to understand? As God reveals in all our discussions, He wants people, all of us, to humble ourselves so as to rely totally to Him. Let us remember, pride is the cause of the fall of Lucifer. In feeding the multitudes, very clearly those people must have been composed of good and evil, and just and unjust. By the way, I read that these multitudes were all called disciples of Christ. How does our Lord demonstrate separating his two classes of disciples? After Jesus Christ made them happy feeding their body, he began to talk about the intended message which is actually for the nourishment of the soul. As an introduction, Jesus encouraged them to recollect how God fed their poor fathers in the wilderness. They said in John chapter 6, verse 31, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. But Jesus told them in verse 49, 
Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Jesus repeated this saying in John 6.58, This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Then the multitude said in verse 34, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Question. How nice to hear the multitudes wish to have this bread from heaven. In John chapter 6 and verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Were they sincere? You are asking if these people who eat this bread, if they are sincere? Sincerity is irrelevant in spiritual matters, my friend. Let us remember it is always humility and nothing less. How could your answer be confined or restricted to humility? Another good question. Let us not forget God's words are expressed in parables and only He can expound His intended message. To prove, let us first listen to our Lord regarding this bread that He said came from heaven in John chapter 6 beginning in verse 53. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And then in verse 56, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I am in him. How did these disciples take the words of our Lord? We will just listen to them in John chapter 6, verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? What happened then? My friend, you will be surprised how these disciples took the words of our Lord. Let us read in verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? And then in verse 66, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. I am surprised our Lord called these multitudes his disciples. Do I understand correctly that followers of Christ, who are only after their material physical needs, are also considered disciples, but eventually would leave him? Or in other words, they would reject his words? Yes. That is why I told you the key word is humility. For the following reason, Jesus said in Matthew 18 verse 3, and I quote, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And also in Luke chapter 10 verse 21, Jesus said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Paul confirmed this and wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Who remain with 
Jesus Christ, after the great multitudes, left him. We will be surprised to the number coming from the lips of Jesus in Matthew 22:14. For many are called, but few are chosen. How did our Lord prove this? In John 6, beginning in verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. 69, And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do I understand correctly that the criterion for remaining with Jesus Christ is his clear identification? You got it, my friend. For how could anybody follow somebody whom he does not know? Then, what is the simple sign or proof for a person saying he follows Jesus Christ, but in truth, he does not even know him? Ask that person to identify the one true God, or ask him, Who is the God in the Old Testament and his name? Who is the God of Peter and Paul and his name? Surely he will either leave you, interrupt your conversation, or tell you bluntly God is a mystery, incapable of identification. My friend, what a great divine revelation we are receiving from God. I would say I was in the dark when I was a preacher. You are not alone, my friend. I feel guiltier than you, for I was a bishop of a popular sect. How I thank God for having opened my eyes to the truth. Digging farther on our topic, God blesses the good and the evil, and the just and the unjust. How could Bible believers benefit from this? Jesus Christ revealed this when he told the religious leaders in Matthew 23:26, and I quote, Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. And then in verse 20, Matthew 5:20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Am I correct that Jesus Christ recognized the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Yes, but this kind of righteousness refers to the outside of the cup and platter. What does that mean? Outside of the cup and platter refers to the physical life of a person. Let us remember, physical life simply ends in the grave. Do you mean although God's main concern is the soul, since this is what he harvests in the end, he is also concerned of the body? Yes, because from among the living where God sees the poor in spirit or the humble who are worthy to be with him in eternity. Will you please expound more on this matter where people are benefited from his words? From the words of God in the Holy Bible are commandments and edicts that pertain to morality. Can you give some examples? From the letter or the literal meaning of the commandments are the following. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 13, Thou shalt not kill. Verse 14, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 15, Thou shalt not steal. And then in verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Government authorities adopt this moral code or conduct or behavior. This is indeed very interesting. When I was a pastor preaching the word of God, I never realized the distinction between outside and inside of the cup and platter. 
From our discussion, it is hoped many people would realize how God entrusts to the governing authorities the physical relationship of people among themselves. Will you please cite an example? Simon Peter, who recognized Jesus Christ by divine revelation, wrote in his epistle in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, I quote, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king or as supreme. And then in verse 14, Or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. Verse 15, For so is the will of God that will well doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Verse 16, As free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Verse 17, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And then in verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters. Paul, who recognized Jesus Christ personally in like manner, wrote in Romans chapter 13 beginning in verse 1 to verse 14. It is the same tenor as Simon Peter wrote, In addition, conscience is emphasized, and I read in Romans 13 verse 5, Wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. It is very clear in our other discussions that God harvests souls and not the body. And we emphasize the following to support this truth. The flesh or body does not profit from the word of God. Citing in John chapter 6 verse 63, It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. It is not the things seen, but the things unseen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. My question now is, how do we relate the foregoing with Jesus Christ feeding with bread and fishes, the 4,000 and 5,000 men, excluding women and children, that you have cited a while ago. My friend, this is something that the natural man will find difficulty understanding it, and I'm quite sure will reject it. When Jesus Christ fed the multitudes with bread and fishes, this is equivalent to feeding the people from the moral aspect of his words. Have we not read how amazed and fully satisfied they were for the benefit they received? It was their body that was benefited in the story. But the intended message refers to the physical life of man. Yes, I noticed that. And I suppose many Bible believers take this literally. My friend, but have we not noticed when our Lord began speaking about the food for the soul? Referring to his pleasant blood, only his twelve disciples remain with him. This is exactly what we see in our time. Hundreds of millions benefit from the word of God. But this only refers to morality. And only a few truly recognize the true Christ. Can they accept the real food for the soul which is the spiritual message of the word? If the letter of the word in feeding the multitudes with bread and feces very clearly benefited the body, but the message was intended for the soul. How about the many miracles performed by Christ, like 
in Matthew chapter 11 verse 5. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus Christ is not a man that easily changes his mind, nor would he dilly-dally with his statement that is crystal clear and definite saying, in John chapter 6, verse 63, and I quote, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If those diseases are not to benefit the body, in what way would the soul benefit therefrom? Let us remember the chosen or the real born-again Christians now have spiritual life. Therefore, those diseases are intended for the healing of the soul. Supposing the chosen suffer from physical diseases, could they not pray for their literal healing? My friend, as earlier stated, God is definite and resolute with His words, not for the body, but for the soul. In which case, physical healing should be with human intervention by calling the doctor and take medicine. Moreover, this serves as an acid test for the soul in its second role in humbling before the Spirit of God. Will the physical result of the disease, be it good or bad, acceptable for the glory of God? How about the man born blind in John chapter 9? Only the chosen of God can accept the spiritual message of the word. Do you, a former preacher, a pastor, and I, a bishop of a popular sect, accept we were spiritually blind at birth? Did we not preach the false Christ to the people before? We thank God by miracle we are now reaping spiritual blessings from the true Christ. How clear to me now this message of the word of God benefiting both the good and the evil. And so, my friend, let us end this discussion by reading again in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. I will read, That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. I hope, my friend, you have been enlightened by this bold revelation from God, that you may be one, among the few that someday we will be together in the eternal kingdom of God here and thereafter. God bless you.